Now, I'd like you all to stand with me, please. About two years ago, a scripture from the book of Acts was quite purposefully put on my mind, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And I knew that God was speaking to me about the fact that there will be changes in the senior leadership in the church. And here the wisdom of the Holy Spirit was taking two of the most prominent, the most gifted leaders from that church in Antioch to release them into a wider ministry to fulfill God's purposes and the spread of the gospel in that generation. It's no secret that for many, many years, my wish, my desire, would be that Bruce Atkinson would replace me as senior leader when the time came. We also need to know that as a church, we can't make that decision for ourselves. There are congregational churches where the ministry is chosen by the congregation. The Elim denomination doesn't run like that. And so every minister that comes to Kensington Temple is appointed centrally by the leaders of the denomination. And we need to give God thanks for that in as much as it was Elim that gave us Win Lewis. Elam that gave us, or gave you, Colin Dye. <laughs> and Elam that gave us Bruce Atkinson. Many years ago when I was uh, being interviewed, my final interview to see whether I was fit to be an Elam minister, one of the key questions, knowing how our denomination operates, was this. Would you be willing to go anywhere that the executive council would send you? Now, the right answer to that is yes. Here's how I answered it. At such a point, I would put my faith and trust in the wisdom of the executive council, but most of all, in the providential power of God. Anyway, that got me in. But we really do work this way. We are servants of God in a denomination, and we are committed to doing that. So it was extremely sad and difficult for me personally when Bruce Atkinson was not approved by our denomination to be the next senior minister whenever that time would come. So we trust that God is in it and actually when we look at it and think about it, and Bruce and I have spent a lot of time on this, we believe that God's hand is in it in a way that we cannot fully yet understand, but do appreciate. And so Bruce was left with a choice, and he would be in many ways willing to continue to serve here in whatever capacity. That's not the issue, but has felt that God's choice for him was to move out of the ministry from this place and wait for that next open door. And we're all working together on that. And we will be continuing to look after Bruce full salary for a significant period of time so that he will not be at loss during that transition. So, here we are today. Trust in God 
loving him, not fully understanding, but actually getting glimpses of what God has in store for us all. The Holy Spirit is behind this, and we're going to see what God will open up for us all. Very emotional day for me, and for Bruce, and for us all. But we love God too much not to trust him. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters of Kensington Temple and City Church, and the wider members of the body of Christ, I give you Bruce Atkinson. Thank you, thank you for your love. You know, it was, uh, well, today, many emotions, feel many emotions. Of course we do. It's been a bit of a roller coaster, especially roller coaster week for many of you. Uh, for many of you found out for the first time recently. I've got many emotions, but if you were to ask me what is the overriding emotion that you feel today, it would without doubt be gratitude and thankfulness for 28 years here at Kensington Temple. I, I came, thank you. I, uh, I was 21 years old, fresh out of university. And when you're 21, you fresh out of university, you think the, the world's your oyster. Well, I found the pearl that was Kensington Temple, and this was the place I've been. And uh, now, as I leave, I'm 50 years old on Christmas Day. So, thank, yes. So if you're going to pray for me, pray that next year will really be my year of jubilee. Amen. Amen. So, I, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for who I've become over those 28 years. So grateful to Colin and Amanda. So grateful to this congregation. Uh, you've seen me, as many people, there are some people that have come especially here today who were with me right at the beginning. And uh, you let me be a young minister, you let me grow, make my mistakes, uh, the encouragement that was here. And uh, I was thinking to myself uh, a few days ago, if I hadn't come to Kensington Temple, would I be the person that I am today? And I realized that I wouldn't, it was God's plan. And although I've got a long way to go, I can honestly say, I'm pleased with where I've come from. I'm pleased with who God has made me. And I'm ready for the next step. And that's mainly because of people's encouragement here. Or I can only think of one time when there wasn't any encouragement. And that was when I was a young minister. And it's the end of a 11 o'clock service. And all I can say is a big mama came to the front and said, I want to see Pastor Colin die. I said to her, well... Uh, I'm afraid he's in between meeting, in between, uh, he's just finished the service and he's got a meeting with somebody, uh, but I'm on the pastoral staff. Is there anything I can do to help you? 
And she looked at me and she said, I want to see the man of God, not the egg. <laughs> and we've had lots of fun over that egg joke. Uh, sometimes it's sort of worn a bit where it was being a bit where, but anyway. So, the egg. Well, you know, the egg hatched. <laughs> The egg hatched. The egg hatched, became an eagle, grown strong wings, and, uh, and is going to soar the mother nest. But this, I'll say this, I'm leaving this KT congregation, but I'm not leaving Kensington Temple in a spiritual way because, spiritually speaking, I am Kensington Temple. I was baptised here, been here 28 years, and that means that wherever I go, everything that I've received and become because of God's grace here at Kensington Temple, the, the ethos of Kensington Temple, uh, that will go with me wherever I go. When I speak, KT will speak through me. What I do will be Kensington Temple through me. And I believe that the angel of this house that is with you is going out to be with me too. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Well... So, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, I thought to myself, what should I preach on my last Sunday here? And uh, I thought, well, there's no more important message that Jesus gave his disciples than the message of love. And so I thought that's what I would speak on. And the title of my sermon today for you is A More Excellent Way. A More Excellent Way. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31 but earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love I'm nothing and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul has just finished speaking to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, powerful gifts of faith and healing and miracles and, and prophecy and, 
Uh, the Corinthian church lacked no spiritual gift, but what they lacked was what Paul was going to tell them right now. They lacked a more excellent way of living. The Corinthians were all over the place. There might have been a power ministry with lots of powerful manifestations of spiritual gifts. But they were, uh, uh, right through the whole of this congregation, there was division, self-promotion. One followed Paul, another followed Cephas, another thought Apollos was the best thing since sliced bread. And they wanted to exert themselves and exalt themselves. Uh, they were proud, uh, they were destructive, they were looking out for their own selves only and uh, forgetting about those that were around them. They had spiritual gifts, but they were living according to the course of worldliness and fleshliness. And so here in, in this verse 31, in chapter 12, he says, a desire the best gifts. I've got no problem with that, Paul says. But then he says, but let me show you a more excellent way. In the Greek New Testament, the word excellent is hyperbole, where we get the word hyperbole. So when someone speaks in hyperbole, they might say something like, oh, I could, I could sleep for a thousand years. It's larger than life. It's to make a point, but it's larger than life. That comes from this Greek word, hyperbole, which is translated excellent. Or it could be translated all-surpassing way, most excellent way, beyond comparison, beyond all measure way. In other words, Paul was saying, there's a way of living that you Corinthians are not living, and it's a whole new ball game. It's a totally different way of thinking and speaking and acting and reacting. It's a different path from which you are currently on. The Corinthian way was one of self-destruction and self-preservation. The excellent way is one of manifestation of, of, of love. And so he wanted to speak to them because the early Christians were known as the way. If you read the book of Acts, time and time again, the early Christians were called the way. When you became a Christian, you joined the way. The idea was, is I'm a follower of Jesus, and now there's a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of acting, a new way of praying, a new way of reacting. And Paul understood that spiritual gifts will pass away. Thank God for the healing, but one day, if Jesus tarries, you will die. Thank God for the prophecy, but one day, if the prophecy is true, it will pass away. Thank God for the miracle, but tomorrow you'll need another one. Thank God for the spiritual gifts. They bring breakthrough. They bring opportunity to preach the message of the cross. No wonder Paul said to the Corinthians, I decided I was only going to preach one message amongst you flesh pots, and that was Christ and Christ crucified. Love on a cross. Love on a cross that shows us the way to also live the life of love. And what we see in this passage is that love never fails. It might look like it's failing. It looked like Jesus was failing on Calvary. But love never fails. When love dies, there's always a resurrection to come. Love is eternal. We see in the first three verses of chapter 13, the necessity of love. And here Paul says, look, it doesn't matter what sort of power ministry you have, or what sort of impact your status or gifting has on those around you. It doesn't impress God if it doesn't come with the more excellent way. He says to them, 
If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, imagine that. Imagine if you had the power to read everybody's internal mail. You could know what they were thinking, when they were thinking, presidents and prime ministers. and the me Imagine if you had all access to all mystery, all prophecy. You knew exactly what was going to happen tomorrow. You knew what your wife would make you for breakfast or your husband would make you for dinner. What if you knew all these things? If I have all faith so I could remove all mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. Imagine you had faith for healing, divine imparted faith for healing, where whoever you prayed for got healed. Imagine you go in the entrance of, of, of a hospital and by the time you'd come out the exit, everybody was following you, healed and whole. Wouldn't that make a, an impact on society around you? Wouldn't you be on the BBC News uh, that evening? What if you had, uh, all, what if you were, ha, had the ability to feed all the people in the world and clothe all the naked in the world? You could feed the poor and, and everybody knew that you were doing this and, the, and that you were doing, wouldn't that have an incredible impact? All faith, all knowledge, all power, all, all, even if you, what about if you died for a cause, you were so committed, you died for a cause, wouldn't that have an impact? Well, it wouldn't have an impact on God if you weren't currently walking on the more excellent way. Do you know when all the gifting's gone and all the ability and uh, all, the, all the resources, the only thing that people remember you for is love. What you did for them that you didn't have to do. How you responded to them with grace when you didn't have to respond to them with grace. How you didn't stand up for yourself in that situation or fight your own battles. Yes, love will fight other people's battles. But love does not fight its own battles. I tried to find where I could fight my own battles in the New Testament. And I looked at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember you say, well, what is love? Well, there's many definitions and explanations of love in the New Testament. Perhaps the most famous is the one that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit found in Galatians 5, 22. And there we have nine words. The first is love. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And then the following eight explain what love is. So love is peaceful. Love is joy. Love is patient and long-suffering. Love is kindness. Having a kindly attitude to someone that doesn't deserve it. Love is goodness. A generosity of heart that gives and gives and gives without measure. Love is faith. Belief in God, trusting God, and faithfulness to one another. Love is humility, which actually means strength and authority, under control. Strength, authority, and power, under control, to be used for the benefit of others. Self-control, allowing the Holy Spirit to take a grip of your life and to pull you into the image of God that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And I looked at that, and I looked at this passage we read in Corinthians 13, and I tried to find somewhere where I could self-assert myself, somewhere where I could stand up for myself, somewhere where I could, I could, I could you know, uh, uh, tell people what they really needed to hear out of, a, out of a bad spirit, where I could get my own back, where I could get my revenge, and I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't find it in the life of Jesus. Oh, he would fight for others. He'd fight for the poor and the dispossessed and those that couldn't fight for himself. But, it, but it, for themselves, but he would never fight for himself. In fact, I was thinking yesterday about him on the cross. 
And I thought, he could have called 10,000, 10,000, 10,000 of angels to deliver him. And I thought, wow. I thought, sometimes, God, when you walk the love path, you feel vulnerable. You feel naked. You feel, you, you feel powerless. But you choose to be powerless in love. You choose to be vulnerable in love. And Jesus on the cross, at any moment, he could have come down. But he chose to stay because he knows that when love dies, love will reign again. And then we come to uh, the, the, uh, the picture of love, the character of love here. And um, Paul speaks in the negative as well as the positive. He talks about what love isn't. And the choices of the description of what love isn't was exactly what the Corinthians were doing. So this is like a, uh, a left hook to the Corinthian situation when he says, love does not envy. They were envying. When love does not parade itself. Oh, they were parading their gifts. Uh, love is not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Doesn't rejoice in iniquity. These things, this was the Corinthian way. This is way, the way that the Corinthians, they were charismatic, Pentecostal. They had Holy Ghost services and the grace of God. Don't ex expect me to, ex uh, to understand the grace of the Holy Spirit who would still turn up in an environment of lo lovelessness like that. God is God. But these were the things that love wasn't. But then he says what love is. He says that, that love rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. It's time for us to put away childish things, childish behavior, and this is exactly what was going on with the Corinthians. We see that he had to address them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal, as to babies in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able for you are still carnal, fleshly. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Childishness. It's possible to be a Christian for months, years, decades, and to remain in an arrested state of spiritual development. In other words, you grow so far and you stop. You are in an arrested state of spiritual development. Someone says, I've been a Christian for 35, 40, 50 years. Doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. How do you grow as a Christian? By walking on the excellent way. Behind the excellent way is great faith. Faith in God that allows you to make choices of love like we're looking at. 
I'm thinking of Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. When we think of the excellent way, Matthew 10, 39. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Sometimes you have to lose to win, especially when you follow the master. And the question is, is the church in the Western world acquainted with loss? You ever heard that phrase, love wins? It's a very famous phrase, came from a book, and lots of preachers talk about it. It's a catchphrase, love wins. Well, I'm here to tell you that before love wins, it normally has to lose. Are we prepared to lose? Do we trust God enough to walk the more excellent way where we will suffer loss, where we will lose what life is supposedly all about in the world's point of view? Are we, are we prepared to lose what the world calls life to find something deeper, more permanent, the life of Christ? Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. There is an experience available to the believer that many believers today have never even touched on or experienced because they've never gone the excellent way or made the choices or had the reactions that cause a loss for the sake of Jesus that will eventually bring this life, this eternal life now that God has made uh, us to ex experience. I mean, I think of a passage like Matthew 5 verse 38, right there in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 38. Usually this passage is totally ignored. Uh, people say, well, he doesn't really mean what he means. Jesus always means what he means. Matthew 5, 38. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist the evil person. You lose. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek Turn the other to him also, you lose. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also, you lose. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too, you lose. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away, you lose. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, you lose. Bless those who curse you, you lose. Do good to those who hate you, you lose. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, you lose. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, you win. You see, there's a factor behind the excellent way. It's the fact that the Father is watching and has all resources available for his children. And that the Father is so powerful that he delights to see his children willing to lose, knowing that God could step in. And even if he doesn't, they're willing to lose because they know that God hasn't stepped in because God has a greater reason. Chapter 6 of Matthew 5 says, take heed that you don't do your good works before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have your reward. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. This is the Corinthian way. Look at my gifting, look at my ability, look at my resources, look at my faith, look at my knowledge, look at who I am, look at me, oh, and I follow him or I follow her because look how amazing they are. Look at us, look at us, look at us. And then the applause... 
and the, and, and the plaudits and the medals and the trophies and all the time that they are getting their reward from human beings, the father is saying, what's this about? What's this about? You get no reward. But when you give and nobody knows that you're giving, when you pray in that difficult situation and nobody knows the tears that you're praying because when you come out having prayed, you're thinking about them, not yourself. When you're praying, you're thinking about yourself. But when you're praying about yourself, you leave it in the hands of the Father and you say, Father, you know, you're in control, your will be done, your kingdom come. Now, if it's all right with you, I'm going out to love because I just placed it in your hands. When you react in love, when you're prepared to lose for the Father, he is watching. When you begin, it's a process, to live your life for an audience of one. All the world is a stage. Everyone has to play their part. Each has their entrance and their exits, but who is their audience? I remember once uh, a, a good friend of ours in Scotland, uh, they, they come from um, a, an entertainment background. She's, she was a, a, dance, a professional dancer and is now a teacher, and the father is a, a well-known Scottish entertainer and singer, and the daughter was about nine years old, and, and she had come to stay with us with her mother just for a break, and, um, and she was uh, learning uh, the creative arts, and she said, Bruce, I'm going to put a show on for you at the end of the day, just for you. I thought, oh, that's nice. Maybe it'd be a little song or a dance or something. Well, for the whole day, she was planning and she was preparing and she was rehearsing. And, and then when she came out, there I was sitting on my sofa, and then she put on this performance. I was so touched because she'd done all that for me. An audience one. How do you think the father feels? Well, no one else sees how you didn't react in an angry way, when you let it go to your own cost, when you forgave, when you had every right as a fleshly person not to forgive. What do you think your father thinks about? I remember RT speaking about uh, a famous young boy who was a violinist and he was playing in a very large auditorium in America. And as he finished and he went to the wings, uh, the, the stage manager was there and said, look, and everybody in the auditorium appeared to be standing, clapping. And he said to the young boy, you need to go and, and take a bow. It's a standing ovation. Off you go. He says, no. He said, no, no, seriously, look at them all. Can't you see them all? Go out and take your bow. It's a standing ovation. And the boy said, they're not all standing. You see right there in the corner, that old man sitting down? That's my tutor. And when he stands, I'll go out and take a bow. It's a picture of the Father in heaven and how we're to live our lives. There's times, and some of you are in these times, where things are going to come your way and you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to do something to please your Father? You may lose because of it. You won't ultimately, because the Father sees your heart and he'll reward you. But are you prepared to lose to win? If we want revival to come to Great Britain, which we do, then it is imperative that the church learns to lose. It's funny, after 28 years, I, my final message to you would to become God's losers. <laughs> Usually the message is that you're the head, and I'm the head and not the tail. Yeah, but you need to be the tail before you become the head. 
Oh, I have all authority in Jesus' name. Let me tell you something. The route to power is a descent. You descend to power in the kingdom of God. You don't ascend to power. You descend to power. And uh, God wants us to be prepared. You see, let me tell you, when you, when you grow, this is a growth, you don't happen overnight, but there'll be times, I hope, that in my last sermon, you'll be in a situation and you'll think, Bruce told me maybe I should lose. Lose for the Father. Knowing that I'll get a reward in this life or the life to come or both that will be that which Jesus said you only get when you're prepared to lose. You see, when you don't mind losing for God, no man has any power over you. No demon has any power over you. A revived church is a church that's not afraid to lose. You, you can imprison me. You can burn me. You can take away my possessions. You can spurn me. I, I'm, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. And then as we grow in being, in, in being losers for love, as we grow, we become powerful. Love is the greatest power. It's these things that abide. Faith, hope, and love. As I close, faith and hope are imperative for the excellent way. You've got to believe there's a Father in heaven, even when it looks like there isn't. Sometimes God makes no sense. Many times God makes no sense. He does it on purpose. So that you trust him. Reach out to him. And that pleasures him as he sees the fire of your lack of understanding, that fire of God making no sense is purifying you. It's burning the gold of faith in you and what's happening is the impurities of unbelief and lack of trust that keeps you from the more excellent way are rising to the surface to be skimmed off by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life, but he only works according to the blueprint of the fruit of the Spirit. You, you can't do God's will being angry, uh, uh, being selfish. The Holy Spirit works to the blueprint of the Sermon on the Mount. He works to the blueprint of the love code. If you want to grow, if you want to mature, if you don't want to be childish, then you're going to have to make some decisions, some painful decisions. I don't know, I think you can take this because you're Kensington Temple. But I was thinking to myself, there's nothing wrong with the church in Britain that can't be solved with a little bit more pain and a little bit more suffering. Why? Consider it all joy. And you go through various trials because something is happening on the inside of you that's going to release who you really are. Faith, hope, and love remain. Faith. Faith is trusting God today and acting on the fact that your Father is in heaven and the Holy Spirit is with you. Faith today, your decisions, your actions are based on a trust. Faith is for today. But faith for the day will allow you to love. But faith for the day will allow you to love for the day. You also need to know what's going to happen in the future. And that's where hope comes in. Faith is trusting God's faithfulness for today and acting in the light of it today. Hope is trusting God for the future even when you don't understand the present. Trusting God for the future. 
believing that somehow, in some way, there's a story, and you're the main character in this story of your life, and that God has written the prologue and the conclusion, and you're in a chapter that makes no sense, but you know that there's a conclusion that's already written, and God is going to take you there, and when you close the book on your life of discipleship that day, you're going to go, that's the most amazing story I could have ever had. That's why we have to walk the excellent way so that we can discover the story that God is writing through our lives. Nothing happens by accident. No suffering is irredeemable by God. I'm convinced that God is bringing to himself a people of pain to bring about his purposes. I think God's choicest vessels are the ones that suffer pain and suffering. Those of you that have suffered pain and suffering... You've come through it. It's horrible at the time, but you've come through it stronger, wiser, closer to the Lord, believing. You see things as they really are and not just as the world makes them appear. You see through the gloss of the world. You see through that, through the impermanence of the power and the struggles and the applause of man. You see through the impermanence to that which remains, to be loved by God and to love with God's love. And that's what brings us to love, putting others' needs before ours, knowing that God will meet ours. Listen to me. Some of you, you need to back down because of love. Some of you, you need to back down. Some of you, you need to pull out of that uh, uh, legal situation that you're in. Some of you need to back down in personal offence and relationships. You need to back down. You'll say, I'll lose. Yes. But will I win the next day? Maybe not. Will my enemy suddenly turn by my loss and and be saved? Maybe not. That's God's business. But let me tell, tell you something. There is a quality of life for you, a quality of walking the supernatural path of love. There is a a whole a whole kingdom to be discovered, but first you have to reject the kingdom of man and the kingdom of the world, and the Corinthian way of doing things, and begin to suffer loss in Jesus' name so that you can gain. Sell all your possessions, buy the field, dig up the treasure. Sell all your, all your pearls, put them away. Take the only pearl that matters, and then you will have your reward in this life as well as the life to come. God bless you.